Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Welcome back, Breaking Health Podcast listeners. This is Tom Salemi. Thanks for joining us. Going to uh, bring you a great conversation I had with Mick Farrell. Mick is the CEO of a company called ResMed, which is one of the leaders in the respiratory space. What ResMed has done more, most interestingly for this audience is it's really building itself into a software-driven medical device company. Mick talks about how the company is uh, transforming itself, how important its work in the digital healthcare space is for its medtech business and what it's doing with Alphabets Verily. So it was a great conversation. Mick's got a lot of, a lot of things to, to, uh, to share. Talked a bit about company culture, talked a bit about personal philosophies and about the origins of the company. So I know you'll enjoy this conversation. I really did. Before I let you go, don't forget the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit is happening on October 11th in Boston. Go to dhis.net. We have a full agenda up there. We have a great panel of speakers. You'll enjoy the day. Uh, it's going to sell out. It always does. So please don't wait too long. Go to dhis.net for more information. And we look forward to seeing you in Boston. Now let's get into this conversation with Mick Farrell of ResMed. Mick Farrell, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot, Tom. Thanks for having me on your, uh, on your podcast here. Great to, uh, to hear ResMed's story. Uh, and, and it's a great one. And I want to go back to uh, the beginning, both your beginning and the beginning of the company. Uh, we don't have to cover every single year uh, with equal amount of time. But I did want to get into just the start. Doing some research, I hadn't realized that uh, your father had started the company, Peter Farrell, when he was with Baxter, or immediately after he left Baxter. But he sort of de- devised the idea for that became ResMed while at Baxter, and that Baxter uh, actually wasn't interested in the technology, so he spun it out for $1.25 million, or at least bought the technology and the rights. That's, uh, that's quite an amazing uh, 30 years of, of growth for, uh, for a company that started off like that. You were, I believe, a teenager at the time. You are a few years younger than I am. Were you already geared toward a business career at that point, or did your father starting the company kind of give you a, an entrepreneurial bug? Yeah, it's interesting. It was. It was 1989, and uh, my father was VP of Research and Development for Baxter Healthcare in Asia-Pacific uh, when he had a portfolio of maybe 20 ideas for Baxter, and they were shutting down research and development in Asia-Pacific where my father had run that in uh, in Tokyo and in Sydney. And so this is one of 20 ideas, and he just said, look, I think this one's got a lot of potential, and uh, uh, this could be a you know multi-billion dollar business, and they, they didn't see it. And so, yeah, he bought it for $1.25 million. Uh, with some angel investors, and I just checked the market cap this morning. It's fifteen billion dollars uh, <laughs> value of the company. Uh, you know, so it was a good ROI there. And um, the inventor, the reason it came out of Sydney, Australia, is the inventor of the technology, uh, Professor Colin Sullivan, is out of the University of Sydney. So, you know, from a very small idea of a basically a Hitachi blower. Uh, kind of like a reverse vacuum cleaner the size of a swimming pool pump and a, and a mask that was like some Rube Goldberg device that was glued <laughs> onto people's faces. My father said, I think we can make this smaller, quieter, and more comfortable. And, you know, over the last three decades, we now have 
sleep apnea devices, millions of patients in hundreds of countries worldwide that are smaller than my little finger, you know, the mask on the face and devices that can sit on top of an iPhone in terms of uh, their bedside table space. And, they, and they, I travel with mine all around the world and it's, it's giving the gift of breath to millions of people around the world. And our challenge is there are 936 million people worldwide who suffocate every night, more than five times per hour. And uh, our biggest competitor, if you like, is, is ignorance or lack of awareness of the fact that people suffocate because they're asleep when they do it, Tom. Uh, and I, I watched a video of, of a presentation of yours where you use the suffocation term, and, and I don't know if I've heard it used in the context of apnea. When someone says apnea, it, it almost it, uh, it diminishes it a bit. It just sounds like, oh, he's got apnea. That's, that's not, a, not a major concern. When you say suffocation, repeated suffocation, that kind of uh, shines a uh, starker light on it. Yeah, Tom, look, my background's in um, uh, engineering, technical discipline, but then I went to the dark side or the light side, depending on how you're looking at it, to the business world and uh, focused on marketing and biz dev. And, you know, apnea is a Greek word for without breath. And, you know, not that many of us studied ancient Greek. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and you know, people sort of, oh, yeah, he's got diabetes. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's got heart failure. You know, great, they're dealing with it. It's just a disease. Well, when you say sleep suffocation, the image is, you know, my beautiful wife putting a pillow over my head and holding it down for 10 seconds because that's the definition of an apnea, that you suffocate for more than 10 seconds while you're asleep. And, you know, of course, my wife would never do that to me, but the idea mm -hmm. that somebody, you know, many, probably 50 to 70 million Americans last night slept and suffocated tens or hundreds of times per night and didn't know about it because they were unconscious in REM sleep or slow wave sleep, but they were quickly out of those regenerative sleeps and into light sleep as if they'd never been sleeping. And the reason you wake up is a surge of neurohormones like an adrenaline shot, like in Pulp Fiction, where that needle went into, mm -hmm. into the heart of that poor actress. And, and, that, and, and what that leads to, those repetitive uh, arousals of the body and neurohormonal stimulation is an increase in propensity for high blood pressure, for heart attack, for stroke, and for solid cell cancer. So we're related to all of the top five killers in the Western world, sadly. Untreated sleep apnea is a, is a huge epidemic. And uh, yeah, ResMed's um, you know, really a pioneer in this field and the number one player in all 120 countries we're in. And that's, that's, that's a big part of our mission. It's not all we do. We're in lung disease and COPD and out of hospital medical software as well. But uh, sleep apnea is our foundation and, uh, and it's our future as well. And I want to talk about the future in a moment, but a little bit more about your past. So were you... Uh, you mentioned the light side, the dark side. Were you, were you veering one way or the other prior to the, the, your father's founding of ResMed? Did that, did that alter your career path at all? Well, it was interesting to watch him, you know, in his mid-40s, you know, give up a sort of cushy role as vice president of uh, research and development for a major multinational company and, you know, pay himself $20,000 a year and work for angel investors. It was interesting. I, I must admit, I didn't, uh, you know, I was just leaving high school. I was 18, 17, 18 years old. So I went off and did my own thing. I, um, I worked in the steel industry and I worked in the chemicals industries and, uh, my actual going to the light side, if you like, was after three years of working at a steelworks, just watching all this air pollution and water pollution go into the planet. I, uh, I, I really got quite, you know, idealistic as you do in your 20s and said, I want to I fix this. And 
uh, I thought I could combine altruism with the profit motive because I thought there'd be businesses in environmental engineering to clean up uh, oil and gas and steel industries. And so I uh, wrote uh, some letters to some um, professors at uh, chemical engineering and environmental engineering at MIT. And in those days, it was 1996, I think, when I wrote those letters out, they actually wrote letters back. And then we switched to email because we wanted faster correspondence. And the uh, the professor, Charles Cooney, over there at MIT uh, told me about a scholarship program where they would pay for a scholarship where you would get an MBA and a master's in chemical engineering. He said, because it sounds like you don't want to do this deep PhD thing that you want to do a little bit of technical skills, you know, sort of the, the vertical on the T and, and the other part of your T skills, which is the broadening of it. And I joke it's the dark side because actually the business side and MIT Sloan, the MBA gave me the inspiration to, to move into management consulting and work in biotech for Genzyme. And um, I called my father up for some advice, you know, some career advice, choosing between Boston Scientific and, uh, and Genzyme for, for my next job in business development. And he said, well, look, if you're going to interview with my competitors, you should consider ResMed. And I said, you little startup out in San Diego, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about two multi-billion dollar companies, you know, and this is, well, I don't know, 1999. And he said, listen, you fool, uh, used another word. If you don't <laughs> recognize that this could be a multi-billion dollar company, then you're a bigger idiot than I thought and you wasted, and they wasted that scholarship money on you at MIT. And uh, I did my little, you know, Arthur D. Little two by two consulting grids analyses on ResMed circa 1999. And I said, wow, you know, I mean, this was in the days where we thought the prevalence was maybe four or 9% of the population, not like 25% of adults we have now. But even back then, I thought this market is huge. I mean, much bigger than Gaucher's disease that I was treating there, Genzyme, this, this orphan drug. And I thought, this is an exciting area. And this was before we reinvented it around digital. This was just the idea that it was linked to heart attack and stroke, you know, uh, the, the major number one killer in the Western world, cardiovascular disease. So that's what got me in, in 2000, in the business development side. And I worked in marketing and then ran a business unit, then ran some sales units in the US and Canada. And now I've been CEO, I guess, for five and a half years, let's call it 22 quarters. So what did you see? The, the, you saw the, the, the market size, the, the number of people who are afflicted with this condition. Is that always a good indicator that a business opportunity is, is a good one? Because there can be a lot of people who are ill, but they're not getting treated for one reason, and you may not be able to develop the treatment to help them. Did you know, in addition to having a lot of people who needed help, that ResMed was going to be able to provide that help? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, the, the therapy is so simple in concept, but uh, quite complex in how you sort of design and manufacture something to be incredibly small, quiet, comfortable. It's a very intimate medical device that you have to actually choose to put on, you know, like a, like a pacemaker or a hip or a knee. The surgeon puts it in and it's always there, right? Your adherence is 100% once you've gone through the surgery. <laughs> For our uh, device, you actually have to put a piece of plastic on your face every night to form the pneumatic stent that allows you to breathe freely and have beautiful REM sleep and slow wave sleep. And so, uh, yeah, the big thing was absolutely back then was the size of this market, but then it was its relationship to cardiovascular disease, to so heart failure, high blood pressure, to stroke, we didn't even know about its relationship to cancer then, but hypoxia, you know, having low blood oxygen all night is kind of like a Petri dish for cancer cells. They love 
disorder cancer cells. They are disordered cells and they love disorder. So hypoxia leads. And I actually just learned um, working with some folks here at the Salk Institute, um, a Professor uh, Sachin Panda, that um, actually cells have a circadian rhythm as well. And when you don't sleep well, your cells don't sleep well. So there's two ways in which sleep apnea can lead to cancer. One is the hypoxia or low blood oxygen. The other is when you don't sleep, your body doesn't sleep. Not only muscle regeneration for the half marathon or brain regeneration for being a great journalist or a decent CEO, um, but it's also your cells don't sleep. So they don't regenerate as well. And that leads to all these cardiovascular disease and, and cancer consequences. So that's what I saw. Huge market, huge links to some of the world's most deadly and costly diseases. And it's underrepresented and so it's this opportunity to get out there and market to people. So you joined ResMed and you held several senior positions at the company until taking over in 2013 and I want to get into the company's future in a moment but I'm just curious as to taking over as a as a CEO of a company that was already uh, headed in a, in, a, in a great direction. What was that uh, transition like? What did you do well and what might you have done differently uh, in taking charge of the company? Yeah, look, it's it's always tough when you take over the CEO role at any, you know at any um, point. When I, I was my first time, I mean, I'd run a, a major global business at the company, but I'd never run the whole show. And so I, I think there's always it's always a challenge, and you're always sort of looking to the last person and looking to build on their success. And uh, you want to make sure there's trust and loyalty and uh, a sense of sort of overlapping vision with them. And um, you know, I, I took over from my father, uh, who'd been CEO for. 20 you know at the time 20 of the 25 years or 22 of the 25 years of the company's existence and so um it was a it was a really good transition we had 100 percent alignment of our strategy direction of where we wanted to take the company look it was a good company it was a billion dollars in revenues five six billion in market cap and had been performing well for 25 years and our job was to absolutely keep doing that like keep this evangelism for undiagnosed uh, sleep suffocation, sleep apnea in the world, but to also add on a couple of new things. And so when I took over, I took over yeah, as CEO and I have uh, a great partner in my president and COO who's Rob Douglas, who I'd worked with for 15 years then and now for, I've worked with for, for 18 plus 19 years together. And we together formed a team of 12 great people, put together a, a, a really strong team over these last couple of years and we've reinvented the company uh, we've added on a new disease state uh, that we'd already started to work on, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or lung disease. And we make the world's best sleep apnea equipment, no question. We now make the world's best non-invasive ventilators and home mechanical ventilators that breathe for patients, literally. A sleep apnea device allows you to breathe. A ventilator breathes for you. So we make home mechanical ventilation and, and also life support ventilation for people with neuromuscular disease, ALS, Lou Gehrig syndrome. And uh, just recently, we now have added on portable oxygen concentrators, uh, POCs or POCs, they're called in the industry, but they uh, filter nitrogen out of air and provide high, uh, you know, 99 plus percent oxygen to, to patients uh, as they travel around and uh, can live with their lung disease or COPD and see their grandchildren across the country graduate from college. The third area that we reinvented the company around is in out-of-hospital medical software. And we now have 7% of our global revenues, 14% of our US revenues come from software as a service. 
So, Tom, we've we've really sort of, you know, grown the company from $6 billion to $15 billion in market cap and $1 billion, $2 billion in revenues. But more importantly, we went from changing, you know, 5 million lives a year with products for sleep apnea to the last 12 months. We changed 14 million lives in uh, out-of-hospital medical software, in COPD, lung disease, awful chronic disease, and in sleep apnea. And, and we're just getting started. You know, this is a marathon. Hey, everyone, Tom here. I want a quick break from this conversation just to uh, once again remind you to go to dhis.net to check out our agenda. We've got a great day planned, a really high-profile conversation between Chrissy Farr of CNBC and TJ Parker, the CEO of PillPack. Also, pleased to have Dr. Elizabeth Nabel, the president of Brigham Health, there to make a keynote presentation and have Dr. Simon Koss, of the chief medical officer of Microsoft, Many, many more. Rachel Winokur of Bright Health. It's going to be a great day. So please join us on October 11th in Boston. Go to dhis.net to check out the agenda and to register to attend. Now let's get back into this conversation with Mick Farrell. There's a lot to talk about in respiratory. It's just a fascinating space. I want to talk about your transition of the business. And, and, you, and you, you mentioned that the, the software as a service element is becoming a, a big part of your revenue. Was the decision to build that business as a source of revenue on its own, or, or did you bring that in to more support your, your core products, and as a result, you were able to, to build sales of your core products, of your medical devices, but yet also get uh, revenue from software as a, as a service uh, systems? Yeah, that's a really good question, Tom, and, and the answer is not either or. It's actually both and. It's mm-hmm. yes and yes. <laughs> we... Uh, we uh, we reinvented the company around software by uh, we decided to put a a 100% cloud connected communications chip that required the consumer or the patient to do nothing inside every single sleep apnea device that we made and we made this decision you know, five six years ago so you know wait way back before it was cool to do that before it was trendy before everyone was talking yeah. about the Internet of Things. And we, so we started the Internet of Medical Things uh, in our planning rooms back in 2012 and launched that product to the market uh, in 2013 and 2014 to the different markets. And so we really reinvented a software-driven medical device company by doing that. And as you said, we use that cloud-based software, uh, a system we call Air Solutions. Um, this, you know, there's a program called AirView, which is for the doctors, and there's an app for patients called MyAir. And we have many, many millions of doctors and patients um, on that system. Over 8 million patients are on AirView. We have over 5 million 100% cloud-connected medical devices. And what we do with that liberated data, you know, as we talked about in the pre-call, you know, we have 2.5 billion medical nights of sleep apnea and COPD data. We liberate the data, obviously keep it, you know, secure and de-identified. But what we do is give the data back to a patient to help them adhere to this therapy they have to put on every night. And we, mm-hmm. we drive basic adherence in the industry from 50% up to 87%. And so that's really good for the patient because the more you use the device, the better you feel. You know, you're me, I use the device personally. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. 
and I'm a better CEO because I use this sleep apnea treatment. And every morning I get a score out of 100, <laughs> like I do when I do my exercise cycle or my runs on my Garmin. I get a score out of 100. You know, I get a, I get a Myair score and I get a sleep score that tells me how I did last night and how I can do better and a little more exercise, a little more drinking water, uh, a little earlier to bed and, and all that sort of coaching, but also how well I breathed during the night. So, yeah, so as you said, the first part, we reinvented the industry around it and used that software to have people use their device more and stay out of hospital more, save money for the healthcare system, and of course, buy more ResMed products while they do it, right? There's a, a link between altruism and the profit motive there. Sure. But on the back side, we also have software that just um, helps our customers you know, manage their business flow better. And that was an acquisition we made of a company called Brighttree. And that software is standard sort of, you know, cloud-based software as a service. And that gets revenue directly, not indirectly by um, facilitating use of our other products and driving revenue that way. So it, we do both of those models you talked about, Tom, and, and they really, really go together well. So when you say your customers help them manage their businesses better, are you talking about the physicians who are uh, prescribing your, your devices or who helps, uh, who does Brighttree help? Yeah, so Brighttree helps physicians, uh, you know, uh, and, and particularly Airview helps physicians do management by exception across great patient groups. But Brighttree particularly helps the home care providers, uh, the people that work with insurance companies and work with the patients directly to set them up on their care within the U.S. Uh, geography. And so it really helps those uh, customers of ours manage their workflows better. You know, the, the doctor can do an e-prescription that gets automatically loaded onto an electronic system that goes to the home care provider. And then that electronically uh, links to a payment system with the insurance company. So there's no paper, there's no faxing, there's no doctor has to sign here, etc. So we've had some really, really good, uh, and we own the company now. So we bought Brighttree about three years ago now, two and a half years ago. And our market cap at the time was about $8 billion, and we invested 10% of that, $800 million into Brighttree. And a lot of our sell side, because obviously we're a public company, our sell side analysts who are medtech analysts said, hold on, I don't even know what software as a service is. I have to go talk to this other sell side person who deals with health IT. And we said, fantastic, get them in the room. And by the way, that should move our multiple up because we are no longer just a medtech company. We are a software-driven medical device company and actually the world's leading software-driven medical device company given the number of you know, medical nodes we have out there of the Internet of Medical Things and, and the amount of um, data we're getting uh, to the cloud. And so I'm really excited about our past and how we've done that. Um, and there's another acquisition we did actually quite recently called Healthcare First, where we actually expanded over to home health and hospice. So doing software as a service for some other verticals in the out-of-hospital medical software space. And we think we have the right to be the world's leader in not only sleep apnea medical devices, COPD medical devices and the health IT or software behind both sleep apnea and COPD, we think we have a right to be the world's leader in out-of-hospital medical software. And we've already started that in home medical equipment with Brighttree, and we're growing that in home health and in hospice with Healthcare First. Is this a, a model, a formula that other med techs will need to adopt going forward? Is, is, is the novelty going to, to wear off for 10 years from now? you'll still just be a med tech company, but now every med tech company will have some sort of software supported business. Or is this a unique story and a unique opportunity for ResMed? 
Look, I, I'm I'm the chair of Advermed Digital Health, so I, I'm on this uh, cross medtech group called Advermed on the board there, and and we've just started up a group within it called uh, Advermed Digital Health, and so this won't be the first time my peers have heard this, but I think it's existential for uh, I think it's existential for medtech companies and frankly for pharma companies and everybody in the healthcare space to become software enabled and software driven. Uh, it's not either or, it's not, you know, are you a medical device company or are you a software company? It's both mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a lot of false dichotomies in business and, and the, the answer is you have to be both. And so I do think all med tech companies will, that, that are around will be software driven. It's one of the reasons that we formed a partnership with Alphabet Verily where we are participating with our world-leading sleep apnea and world-leading COPD ecosystem into a broader ecosystem where, you know, the Verily team has formed a partnership with other med techs in diabetes and other pharmaceutical companies in diabetes. And they're forming relationships with others in COPD and in heart failure. Because, you know, look, as much as I'm passionate, intensely passionate about helping people who suffocate around the world, I realize you're a person who suffers from this disease. You know, you're not just a sleep apnea patient. You're a person (laughs) and you have other probably uh, conditions that you want to be managing across those. And so I think, you know, this Internet of Medical Things is just the start of making sure you're software driven and software enabled. I think what you really need to do is help a patient be healthy and happy in their home with a high quality of life. And the way you do that is you get them their data and you get them in a way that it's not just data in the cloud, but it's actionable information for them. We coach patients, millions of them, every day with our Airview system, you know, 8 million patients on Airview. And and we help doctors do management by exception, but we also directly coach over a million patients who've signed up for MyAir and give them that sleep score, give them some advice, give them some links and help them move better. How much better when we're not only treating one disease or one vertical, that we're part of an ecosystem that's helping across there. And so I think it is the future of medical care to um, participate in in digital health. And uh, I'm just really excited. We're a pioneer for it. and We're right on the forefront and we're making money while we do it, right? It's sustainable. It's not like it's just a project on the side. It's a real part of our business. It's 14% of our US revenues, 7% of our global revenues. And, you know, I think you'll watch us grow that organically and inorganically and Resmin will be 10, 15, 20% of our revenues will come from software and it'll be a strong part of our business. And, uh, and looking at all the data, and, and I was, I was uh, watching a, a video that you gave, I think, just over a year ago, and uh, I believe you had 1 billion nights of, of sleep at the time. Now you said you have 2.5. Back in 2017, you said you had 3 million connected devices. Now I think you said 5 million. So the growth is is extraordinary. You you explained how the data will help the patients. Uh, How is it helping you as a med tech in in product development and sales and marketing? How does that data, are you using, I imagine you're using it in that way as well uh, to help you internally? Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, all the data are de-identified. So, you know, we don't know sure. Nick Farrell, who's 46, who lives in, you know, ABC zip code. But what we do know is, hey, you know, the average 45-year-old male in Southern California, you know, has these types of habits. And so we can coach through that. And so we're in the early stages of developing uh, sort of the artificial intelligence and machine learning and deep neural network capabilities that can help us really help our customers. And so, you know, the ultimate customer always in healthcare is a patient. It's a person who has a disease or a disorder. And, you know, the more we can find insights that help 
those patients. There's, there's altruism, uh, which is part of that, and it also links to the business motive. The more we get people, you know, there's 3 billion searches a day on Google. It's nice to have, if they do say, how can I sleep better, or I have problems sleeping, or, you know, I have problems snoring and waking up, that we can get those subset of those 3 billion each day who hit a search on Google into a funnel that gets identification and engagement into the diagnostic channel for our disease state. And so there is just so much we can do to mine through this. But yeah, absolutely, we have, on the simplest level, empowered patients with their own data. We've empowered physicians with the data across their patient pool so they can do management by exception. Mm-hmm. We're working with and empowering, you know, payer providers. I mean, we worked with Kaiser Permanente, a, a leading uh, payer provider here in the California and the Western region. And um, we worked with Kaiser Permanente Southern California to run a study to show that we could get adherence, you know, which was baseline in this industry of 50, 60% adherence to the therapy, which is frankly, you know, like any pharmaceutical pill. It's a crazy, but people get a prescription and only take it 50, 60% of the time. It's, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, but we get it up to 87%. Wow. Uh, and that study was done with Kaiser Permanente. So we're, we're partnering with the whole ecosystem here and, um, yeah, look, uh, Tom, we're just getting started on how to work it. And I like that time-based one that you've gone and look at some of the social media of a year ago, two years ago, because it's going to be bigger than $2.5 billion. It's going to become $5 billion, $10 billion in terms of the nights of data. And it's going to become, you know, 5, 7, 9, 12, 15 million connected devices. And as we keep growing that, the power of the learnings for that individual patient and that individual doctor and that individual physician and, and health insurer and government, you know, because we're partnering with governments in, in Northern Europe. Uh, we're still in 120 countries worldwide. Mm-hmm. And this information can help bend the cost curve. Uh, you know, uh, healthcare is 20% of our GDP in this country. One in five of every dollars is spent on healthcare. And it's growing faster than the economy, which is unsustainable. So we have to cut costs, manage chronic diseases better, and ResMed is going to be right at the forefront with a huge, important chronic disease of sleep apnea and another hugely important one of COPD. And we're going to do it out of the hospital with software. And, uh, yeah, we're excited to be, we're excited to be at the, the hub of all that. And, you know, in terms of my personal work-life balance, I've, I've definitely learned how to uh, make sure I'm home every Friday night so I can drive my beautiful daughter to her tennis game and uh, have sushi with my son because... Uh, and I tell all my team this, you know, it's encouraged to take weekends off because you're going to come back firing on Monday morning. And I, I really do. And I've made a big personal work-life change uh, about halfway through my five and a half year tenure as a public company CEO to make sure uh, my message to you listeners of this podcast is fantastic. You know, I love it that you're listening to this in the car or the plane or wherever you're going. Take some time to connect with your family, your spirituality and your community, because that's what you do it all for. And uh, it's great if you can link that in business, but uh, um, it's great if you can look back and uh, also have a a good work-life balance there as well. Uh, that's that's a, a great point, and I, and I I just want to bring it back one more second to the CEO role. How difficult it is it to to bring this software culture into a medical device company and, and integrate the two? Were there any bumps in 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 weaving those together? Is there any conflict between the two cultures? Because they're very different businesses. They both hopefully have the same objectives. But what was that like bringing uh, bringing those those software folks into Resmed? 
Yeah, look, it's it's really been a reinvention of the company, and uh, you know, one of my challenges, and and you know, every challenge is an opportunity, is to say, you know, my background is in chemical and uh, mechanical engineering. You know, I love our mechanical and electrical engineers. Uh, and our design engineers just as much as I love our software engineers, you know, <laughs> and because, um, you know, this device has to be smaller and quieter and more comfortable, right? And that's mechanical and electrical and hardcore physics. You know, we're pushing the, the boundaries of physics with how tiny these sleep apnea devices are. I mean, I travel with mine all around the world and it goes through TSA and they think it's uh, like a golf range finder because it's so small. Um, <laughs> uh, so I love that side of our business, and um, but I also embrace, you know, the second, third floor of the building here has a lot of bean bags and, you know, uh, screens on the roof and cool coffee and <laughs> snacks around and people who wear jeans and listen to music that's far hipper than anything I do. But they're all important and really important part of it. And so, yeah, look, you know, I want to make 20, 30 percent of our business in software, but I love the 70, 80 percent, which is uh, these hardware devices as well. And, you know, a patient's life gets touched by our devices. We used to say, you know, oh, we changed 14 million lives in the last year because we, we sold 14 million products. And I think the nicer way is to say we help 14 million people breathe, change 14 million lives. I'm actually saying now, actually, in the last year, we changed over 50 million lives. Wow. Because if you have an app that connects with you and says, hey, go see your pulmonologist, and that visit prevents a hospitalization episode for a COPD patient, isn't that a life changed as well? Because I don't know about you, but I have been in an ambulance, you know, going to a hospital, uh, you know, and there's nothing good about that feeling. And so if you can avoid a huge costly event for the health insurance company and a hugely painful event for that COPD patient or that sleep apnea patient. Isn't that a life touched as well? So that's how we look at the business. We change over 50 million lives. Yeah, 14 million through these amazing hardware products. But the others is changed through software. Software for the customer, software for the physician, software for the patient, software for the provider, because they're all customers. So that's how we look at the business and that's how I hopefully, you know, inspire the 6,000 Resmedians who are all important, including our clinical people, our marketing people, our operations people. I just spent time at our manufacturing plant in Singapore and our development team in Singapore and Ireland uh, around the world the last three weeks. And I just love the fact that we sell in 120 countries and we have people and centers for excellence uh, in software and mechanical, electrical engineering, but also in medical science. That's great. And, and absolute final question, I'll let you go. Uh, you, you, you stated clearly and well where we are with uh, integrating software and digital health into, into medtech. Where are we specifically with respiratory innovation? Uh, the, the, the devices you're working on have made so many leaps and bounds just over the last five years or so. Where are we in, in the in the development of new tools to help people breathe better? Yeah, look, I think we've all you've got to do is talk to a patient to find out that there's a lot of innovation left. Um, I have the benefit of being a patient myself. I try not to use the N equals one when I'm talking to our <laughs> design teams, but there's, there's no question in sleep apnea, we have a lot of opportunities for miniaturization and making these things smaller, quieter, more comfortable and more connected. And I talk to our teams all day about that. Um, you know, we've expanded into COPD. The next logical expansion in respiratory is into asthma and some of the other respiratory diseases. We certainly look at all those. Um, I think, you know, 
as, as I look forward, do I think that portable oxygen concentrators could get smaller, quieter, more comfortable? Absolutely. We've only entered that industry the last two or three years, uh, in, and we haven't even established connectivity yet on our POCs, the POCs, the portable oxygen concentrators. So I can't wait to see where you know our engineers and our team takes this industry next. I'm sort of, you know setting up the ResMed 2025 strategy with the team, where we're going. I can't tell you much about it. It's not yet public, but it's going to be more digital. It's going to be uh, more out of hospital and more engaging for every single customer, from the patient to the physician to the provider to hopefully uh, folks like you, Tom, who are watching this industry and helping us evolve by getting the word out there. Excellent. What a, what a great story. Thank you for taking a few minutes to share it with us, and, uh, and best of luck. Thanks for having me on your show, Tom. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks so much for joining us, Breaking Health Podcast listeners. Before I say another word, let me assure you, our pal Steve Krupa will return next week with another great interview. So please do tune in next week for that. It'll be great to have Steve back in the big chair. Also, next week, you'll hear more about the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which is happening on October 11th in Boston. But no need to wait until then. Go to dhis.net to find out more. Check out the great list of topics and speakers we have lined up and uh, know that this uh, event has sold out the recent year or so. I would rather you can wait. If you want to be in the room, register now. Finally, let me know how we're doing on the podcast. Shoot me an email, tom at healthogy.com. That's the word health, followed by letters E-G-Y.com. Healthogy is the producer of the Breaking Health podcast and the digital healthcare innovation summit as well as many many other great events so love to hear your thoughts of the podcast and if you think it's great and you don't want to bother telling me make sure you tell a friend that's it folks tune in next week steve krupa will be back